What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Hopefully, everyone is having a happy and safe holiday season. And a welcome into the final episode of 2018 for the Quarterly Report Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Armand Lee, fresh off a week's vacation to celebrate my 36th birthday. Thank you to everyone for all the well wishes. But we are back with with another amazing show for you guys. You know we had to end the year off strong, and that's how we're going to do it. We're going to talk about Baker Mayfield, man, and why I love him, but how other people view him is affecting my perception of the star Browns quarterback. Also, how LeBron James had an opportunity to make another superstar play, but unfortunately, this time he did not come up clutch. All of those topics and so much more, but first, our number one topic this week. As I said, this is the last podcast of 2018, so of course we have to end the year off strong. And there have been so many topics to discuss, but one stands above all else. And it happened last week, and and really there's only five words to say to describe this topic, and those words are... Man, sit your ass down. Man, sit your ass down. And I mean that to Mark Cuban and anyone else who, who feels like him. Look, if you do not know Mark Cuban... I don't even know where the topic came from, like how it started. But obviously, it stems from Luka Doncic playing an amazing season this year, putting the Mavericks in part, help helping the Mavericks put themselves square in the playoff contention. And Mark Cuban was addressing how AAU culture in America is problematic. And look, if... We all can have a discussion about the AAU system and kind of how it has impacted basketball stateside and how it has manifested into players and on the professional level having these great relationships with these guys that they've had since they were like 12, 13 years old. And now all these guys want to play with one another. We can have a real nuanced, layered, intelligent conversation about that. And look. I by no means think that the AAU basketball system is perfect. I think it's flawed. I think we need to really address uh, how we handle youth basketball and how we develop our players and all other types of, I mean, we can talk about like the integrity of the game and what it really stems for because youth basketball in this country is like everything in this country. It's all has now been about the bottom line, right? It's a way for people to make money and, Look, man, I'm not going to knock anybody who's legally making money. But there is a moral issue besides just kind of the skills, if you will. But Mark Cuban was talking about how so many guys who come up in today's AAU culture are about, you know, mixtapes was the kind of the buzzword. And it was a dog whistle because he was talking about how in Europe, these guys are far more skilled and fundamentally sound. And I'm paraphrasing, but the quote is definitely out there. And he's basically saying how... American culture because of the AAU. So many guys are just so focused on mixtapes, whereas in Europe, players are developed and they're much more pro-ready when they come in. And again, look, Mark Cuban hit the ball out of the park with the Luka Doncic trade and drafting. And he is reaping the benefits. But Slim, Mark, you got to sit your ass all the way down. And anybody who feels like that 
I literally is just, I'm just two weeks away from talking about how I don't like how you have to choose or how it's being positioned. You have to choose between Luca or Trey. How we can't just sit and enjoy both. And then he says stuff like this. And this is the problem. I don't know anyone who does not like Luka Doncic. If you like basketball, you love Luka's game because he's fun and he's really, really good. The problem isn't with Luka. It's with the people who talk and prop up Luka through proxy with these type of statements. So in reality, you're just building a backlash for Luka. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later in the fourth quarter. But I said it earlier about Kirk Cousins in D.C., I have never met someone who does not like Kirk Cousins. But living in D.C. where so many people propped him up and used him as a tool to kind of, you know, shield their true feelings about different players and the organization and anything that else falls in between, right? I get why people don't root against and, like, cheer for Cousins' demise. And that's what they're doing with Luca. Mark Cuban's comments, and we're going to address just how wrong they are and how problematic they are and how much of a dog whistle that they are. But this on the surface level, you are making it hard for people who would otherwise love this guy. You're making it hard to cheer for him because you're using him as a prop. Luka Doncic is an amazing basketball player. Luka Doncic is an amazing skilled basketball player. But let's not act like Luka Doncic is, the, he is kind of the average. He is exceptional. He is not, Luka Doncic is not, you, you can't go into the draft Mario and Zonia, right, and compare him to Luka because they're not the same. It'd be like comparing every player coming out of Ohio to LeBron. You're not going to get it. Luca is special. So Mark Cuban is using this outlier in Luca to kind of speak to the all the issues with American basketball culture compared to Europe basketball culture. And it's funny they talk about skill and fundamentals and the mixtape culture and all that stuff. I'm sorry, the best European player in the league right now is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis is one of the five, if not three, best players in the league. It ain't like Giannis has the most amazing skill. He still cannot shoot. And look, we're going to touch on this too. It's funny how people use the word skill. Because there are a lot of skills that you need to be an exceptional basketball player. Many of them are offensive. Many of them, however, are defensive. So Giannis may not be able to shoot. But Giannis, as far as defensively, is an amazingly skilled athlete. Rebounding, boxing out, position, all of that is skill. Kyrie Irving, AAU basketball player. Who has more skill offensively than him? Between dribbling, shooting, finishing off the... I mean, he finishes... How Kyrie gets so much English on the basketball when he throws the ball off the glass or finishes through contact, that is an amazing skill. Amazing. But we don't think about that when we talk about skill because all we think about is jump shots. 
right? Luka has an amazing step-back jumper. Beautiful. Uh, Nikola Jokic, probably the most skilled European player in the league right now from an offensive standpoint. He's amazing. I'm not going to knock on him. But are we going to say that Carl Anthony Towns isn't skilled? Carl Anthony Towns was drafted the same year as my guy, Kristaps Porzingis. Don't tell me that Kristaps is more skilled than Carl Anthony Towns because he's not. Not in the slightest. Kristaps can't shoot like Carl Anthony Towns. Kristaps does not rebound like Carl Anthony Towns. And if you do not think that boxing out in position is a skill, you are sadly mistaken. Carl Anthony Towns moves without the basketball better than Kristaps, which is a skill. Carl Anthony Towns sets better screens, which is a skill. We could do this all day. And as a Nick fan, what about my guy Frank Nilakina? And I butchered his last name, but Frenchie. That's what I'm going to call him. That's what I always call him, Frenchie. You notice when people talk about European basketball players, they don't talk about Frank Nilakina. They don't talk about Thabo Cephalosha. They don't talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo. They don't talk about Clinton Capella. You think that's a coincidence? Because I don't. This is what I mean when I say the dog whistle. Because Frank, as all the things he does well defensively, and he's an amazing defensive basketball player. And I think that he's probably been hurt by playing in New York because we don't have a real motion-style offense. Regardless, how people view skill in the way Mark Cuban was viewing skill, he was using it as guys who shoot the ball well and dribble well and, you know, don't need the ball in their hands and, you know, the quote-unquote beautiful way to play basketball, which is cool because I do love to see basketball players move without the ball. But that's not a country thing. That's not an American or North American versus Europe thing. It doesn't matter which continent you were born in. Right? Or grew up in. But no one says anything when Frank Nilakina still can't shoot. Well, he's European. Why why wouldn't that count? You know what I mean? Clint Capella's not a great shooter. why doesn't that count? And therein lies the issue. They don't they're not talking about which continent you're from. They're not talking about how Europe develops their basketball players. No. This is coded language, which isn't even really that coded. It's a dog whistle that we all can hear if we choose to open our ears. Mark Cuban knows exactly what he was talking about. He knows exactly what he was talking about. Yes, Luka Doncic is special. He is absolutely special. He is not the norm in on any continent. Not in Europe, not North America, not Australia. It doesn't matter. You're not getting a bunch of Luka Doncic's coming out of anywhere. Because they just don't come. They just don't develop. He is a special basketball player. And I root for him. And I hope he does or continues to do special things for the Dallas Mavericks or whichever team he plays for. But let's stop this right now. Let's nip it in the butt. Let's shine a light on this so we make sure to shame Mark Cuban and anybody else who feels this way because it's stupid, right? It's stupid, it's foolish, and it breeds contempt, right? It's, it's peddling hate on a different level. And unfortunately, the Mavericks aren't going to have to pay the consequence. Mark Cuban's definitely not going to pay the consequence. All of this slander 
that is coming from Mark Cuban to prop up Luca by proxy, it's going to fall on Luca's shoulders. Which is crazy when you think about it because he hasn't said anything. I, I don't think I've heard Luca speak since the draft. But so many people are using him to be like, hey, see, they do it the right way. That's the right way to do it. In fact, there are now reports that there's an internal discussion within the Mavericks front office and organization, not on the roster, between Luka and Dennis Smith. Now, I I wasn't a fan of Dennis Smith Jr. last year. I wasn't. Didn't like his game, but didn't like some of the things he's talking about. I never had to learn to play defense. All these things that were just like, eh, I'm not really sold on you. But everybody, Mavs fans for life, right? Hashtag MFFL. Everybody. It's talking about how great Dennis Smith is. And then a year later, it's now Luca versus Dennis. We got to get Dennis out of here. And now you're, you're doing this kind of like civil war thing, if you will, like the us versus them. And all the people who 100% of the time or 99% of the time are all about patriotism, all about the stars and stripes. For whatever reason, now they are looking over at Europe and saying they do it the right way. Imagine that. And again, when they talk about Europe, they're not talking about the best player currently from Europe. Giannis, no, they're not talking about him. They're not talking about Clint Capella. They're not talking about Frank Nelikina. They're not talking about Thabo Cephalosha. They're not talking about any of the great European players who do play in this league. They're not talking about Rudy Gobert. They're not talking about any of these guys. You know exactly who they're talking about, though. They're talking about Luka and Kristaps and Mario Hinzonia and Nikola Jokic and all these players who are talented and have never asked to be put in this position. And that's so nasty, man. That's lame as hell. And Mark Cuban, we're going in 2018 this way, man. And I can't say it strong enough. You and everybody who do who views basketball the way you do and agrees with you or maybe not say it, but believes the same thing that you said it in terms of the quote-unquote mixtape culture trying to be slick. Mark Cuban, I mean this from the bottom of my soul, bro. Sit your sorry ass down. For real. Man, sit your ass down. All right, y'all, man. You know what? This was the perfect way to start the show because we talked about kind of breeding hate and contempt, you know, and stereotypes. And that's a very key word or key phrases to use as we segue from the first to the second quarter, because this past week, we also had an opportunity where someone put a, their foot in their mouths and based upon stereotypes that they may or may not known hurt a lot of people within our basketball, you know, culture. And that's going to be our second topic this week. Second quarter. LeBron James is my favorite basketball player of all time. LeBron James is also on the very, very short list. He may be my favorite athlete ever. I'm not certain. He's definitely my favorite athlete, not from Virginia. Bernal Whitaker and Michael Vick are kind of like near and dear to my heart. So I don't know if LeBron, if I'm a bigger LeBron fan than those two players. But outside of people from the state of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, LeBron James is easily my favorite athlete ever. However... When you hold the position that LeBron does, and let me me make one thing perfectly clear. Part of why I love LeBron so much 
isn't just because he's among the best basketball players I've ever seen in my entire life. It's the entire package, the entire story of LeBron James, which is amazing. Born in poverty, right? As a young child, went to, from home to home, living in cars, you know, trying to make a way for him and his mother. Did not know his father and has basically lived in front of our eyes as the American viewing public for his entire adult life and much of his teenage life, honestly. And through it all, man, unrealistic expectations, unfair criticism, um, poor, uh, I guess, foundational support throughout his early years of his career. And to now being kind of the spokesperson, not just on of basketball matters, but in terms of equality. He literally had an ad campaign last year that's that was just based on equality. It's fantastic. A lot of people got upset with what Mike with what LeBron James said on the shop episode that came on HBO last Friday. And I had no issues with it. I think that it's a layered conversation. And a conversation that I'm not going to have just yet on this show. We may have it uh, later in 2019, but I need the necessary time and space to kind of craft my um, my opinion on it. Because it's so easily to dismiss, oh man, the slave mentality. These guys make millions of dollars. Boom, we're done. But there's layers to it. And if you haven't read the book, $40 Million Slaves, that's I suggest you do so. It's a really amazing book, and it, it details exactly what LeBron James is talking about. But that's not what this quarter, this segment is about. This quarter, this segment is about how LeBron James, despite the fact that I'm a fan, despite the fact that I love everything that he stands for, despite the fact that I, I he may be my favorite athlete ever, he dropped the ball this past weekend. And it's important that we people like myself who are a fan of LeBron who do who do love basketball and who do love the fact that big time athletes do stand up and take a stance when it comes to social causes it is important that we hold them accountable for their missteps as well not that we got to do this whole gotcha thing not that we have to ridicule LeBron and persecute him or that we have to uh, make an example out of him. No, 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 no. But like I hope my friends and family and loved ones, when I say something that's out of line, I hope they tell me and check me. We also have to do that to the people that we love on a different level, right? Let's say this. If LeBron James made it a point not to talk about equality and social justice and, you know, respecting other marginalized communities. If he never did take that responsibility and he posted uh, rap lyrics on his Instagram live um, page, you know, I, I don't remember, I don't know the quote verbatim, but it's basically what he what he said was, um, my money's kosher like Jews, like, Got long money, money, culture like you, something along those lines. If this was random left guard in the NFL who did that, it wouldn't be a, I wouldn't 
wouldn't say much of it. Wouldn't, wouldn't even make the head. I wouldn't even known. I would have known that he said it. But that it's LeBron who said it. You know? Based on the positions that he has taken. It was important that he apologized. A part of LeBron James' apology was that he did not know that that was an insult. And that he thought it was an actual compliment. And I believe him. I believe that. I believe that 100%. Again, LeBron James was born into poverty in the inner cities of Akron, Ohio. I'm not, I don't know how prominent the Jewish community is in the inner cities of Akron, Ohio. I would make the assumption that LeBron James grew up not knowing that many Jewish people, not knowing them um, intimately, not knowing some of their sensitivities as well. So going through life, especially when you don't have money growing up, and the only thing as a child I'm assuming that you wanted was money, hearing Jews have a lot of money or that their money is good, I can, um, I can understand why he would think that that's a compliment. But now he knows it's not. Many of us have always known that it's not. I know as a young man that, you know, that was a certain stereotype among Jewish people that was not something to be uh, taken lightly. So when I saw that he, he um, posted that on his Instagram page, I was, I was disappointed. I was like, man, that's an unforced error. I don't know why you did that. Out of all the lyrics on 21 Savage's album the post you post that i don't know why you did that and again i i believe that lebron did not mean any ill will toward that but ignorance is not an excuse ignorance is not an excuse so once he realized he messed up he should have apologized but he should have done more than what he did and at the time of this recording the only thing that i have seen from lebron is a um i guess it was a message he didn't go in front of the cameras to talk about it thus far. It was basically like a, a memo. It was a letter or, uh, you know, a written message basically saying that, again, he thought it was a compliment. And this is the thing that really bothers me. He said, I, I, I'm sorry if I offended anyone. Like that, that's lame, man. We got to keep the same energy on this. We really do. If I'm on the subway and I step on someone's foot, I don't say I'm sorry if I left the mark on your shoe. I don't say I'm sorry if I hurt your toe. I say I'm sorry because the act, although I didn't do it on purpose, my act affected you some way, somehow. I don't know how deeply it affected you. Those could be brand new shoes that you spent $1,000 on and my shoes could be really, really dirty at the bottom of their soles. Or you may not have even felt my foot step on your foot. Right. I have no idea how my actions impacted or affected you. I'm not saying sorry based upon how you received my action. I'm saying sorry. I'm apologizing because I did something to you. I did something not knowingly, whether I knew it or not. I apologize because of the act that I did, not how you received it. So anytime, whether it's LeBron James or it's Josh Allen or it's uh, my guy, the quarterback from Oklahoma, anytime anyone does something, 
and they apologize and they say, I'm sorry if I offended you. Man, that, that really bothers me. It really does. And that LeBron James said those exact words in his apology letter bothered me even more. Because look, man, this thing is it's important that we hold him accountable for these things. Because he has absolutely done the right thing in taking social causes and fighting for them and being the voice for people who cannot be heard. But in saying that, he could have absolutely took this opportunity and grabbed it by the horns and showed everybody, look, I, I made a mistake too. And although I didn't know that I was doing it, I am going to make it a priority that I learn. You know, because so many people, and, and you see it now, man. You see it as soon as soon as Darren uh, Rovell posted it, you knew exactly what was going to happen. Because all the trolls, and I'm not talking about internet and Twitter trolls. I'm talking about the trolls who have now uh, a large, uh, strong position in the sports media um, realm. They just, they took after it like ducks to water, man. They've taken this, this one incident that is an unforced error by LeBron. And because he did not handle it accordingly, and we, people who do view LeBron and view athletes who do speak out on social causes, and we do appreciate that, that we haven't then held LeBron accountable as well, they feasted on that. And it's like, okay, well, here's the double standard. And look, I'm not one of the people who think that, you know, I do think that we as a, as a society many times are too sensitive. I think I don't like it when people go way back on a team on a player's uh, Twitter page from when they were teenagers and they look up tweets. I don't like that, even if it's tweets that could be, um, you know, upsetting to me. I don't like going back on someone's page and social media and like use look. Two things can be true. One, if you're young, don't put everything out online, even as you're, if you're an adult, don't put all your thoughts online and, and don't be a jerk. But number two, if you're a child, there is a certain level of maturity and growth that does happen between the ages of 13 and 20. You know what I mean? Like this. And there's a significant amount of growth that happens between 20 and 30. Hell, I remember over a decade ago, Tim Hardaway is on the Dan Lebertard show, right? And Tim Hardaway go literally comes out of his mouth and says, I hate gay people. And Dan, being a friend of Tim Hardaway, is trying to give him a life raft. It's like, no, you don't mean that. Like, like, stop. Let's move on. He's like, no, no, no. Tim Hardaway didn't reiterate it. He's like, no, I don't like them. I hate them. Tim Hardaway, rightfully so, was banished from the Miami Heat community, the NBA community, and people were like, yo, you need to fix this. And not in the spotlight. He did the work himself after being ostracized and, you know, correctly so penalized for his hate speech. Tim Hardaway did the work, did the work, started volunteering in gay communities, right? Started to see kind of how that type of hate manifests itself in the real world and the dangers that our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters, what they have to deal with, right? So, Outside of the spotlight, not doing it for show, not doing it for pompous circumstances. He did the work himself as an adult. 
and he's done so much so that I think he, I think he, it's like a, I, he's definitely back in the NBA community, but I believe he has a foundation that helps with our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. You know what I'm saying? Like he did the work. So we all say we love a comeback story and redemption story. So the fact that we go out of our way to look for tweets from teenagers who are now, you know, young star professional athletes is lame. So I definitely feel that we are in a society where we are too sensitive when we are going out of our way to look for things, not to help people, but to kind of be like, gotcha, he's bad too. Like, that's nasty. I don't like doing that. But this, to me, is a could have been a learning opportunity because, like LeBron said, I, don't be, I believe him when he says that he did not think that that was an insult, that he thought it was a compliment. And I do believe that there are many people who feel like LeBron, who do not think that that is an insult, who do not think that's insensitive. But if LeBron James uses his platform like, look, I messed up. And I'm going to work to make sure that I don't do this and that I respect all these other communities, unlike mine. Imagine the power that is in that. You take the power away from all the trolls who like, see, it's a double standard. Ha ha. See, see, see. And he takes the power and then affects change from countless number of individuals. Because look, I've seen this all week now. All week. Hold on. Saying that someone has money is offensive. Get out of here. And we got to stop that, man, because stereotypes are dangerous. I'll say it again. Stereotypes are dangerous, even if they're not negative. Look, as a black man, dog, we got a bunch of negative stereotypes. I could spend a whole show on all the negative stereotypes that black men have. However, some of the positive ones, right? Strong, tough. Good fighters, right? Great in, great in the bed. You know, very masculine. All these things, right? The, those are the few positive athletic, super athletic, can dance. Those are the few positive stereotypes that exist for black men. But let's take it from the benign to the serious. Super athletic. Look, we are li literally months removed from people saying that Lamar Jackson should be a wide receiver. And the reason that they said he should have been a wide receiver is because what? He's super athletic. Imagine all the children who could have been quarterbacks or shortstops or all these other positions, but because the stereotype exists that black men, they're super athletic, they're fast. They're just athletes, natural athletes. They were moved out of positions that are, are thought to be like superior to have superior intellect. You know what I mean? Imagine the number of Cam Newtons that could have existed but were moved to be linebackers or defensive ends because he's just so big and athletic. Like that's the small end, like the, the non-important stuff on the grand scheme of things. But also strong, like to fight, right? Good fighters. You don't have to go too far into the news to see how that stereotype negatively impacts men in a life or death situation. You hear the number of times police officers like a broken record. Oh, I fear for my life. Why did you fear for your life? You had a gun. He's not doing anything. Oh, man, I just pulled a gun out and shot him. Biases, stereotypes, they have 
negative consequences, no matter if they're positive or not. Black women, right? Stereotype often is, oh man, they're strong. Or, oh, they're, nev they're never satisfied. They have an attitude, right? And you see, when you look at like labor statistics, black women die at an alarming rate. And it's because when black women, after giving birth, say that they're not feeling well, right? People just think that they're complaining. Oh, she doesn't know. She's just, she's exaggerating. She's just giving me attitude. This stuff is real. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you're a Latina, what's the major stereotype from Latina women? They're like super sexual and sensual women. So imagine if it's just a, like every other group, right? Every, no one is one thing. So you come across a woman, a Latina woman who's not sensual and super sexy and trying to be exuding sex, right? You, can, you don't have to do the math in your head. You don't have to run scenarios that long to see that, okay, this is really can be problematic, right? We can all envision, okay, this won't end well. Like this is a problem. That's why we have to be careful with stereotypes, whether you deem them to be positive or not. Because once we stop viewing people as people and start viewing all groups of people as characteristics, man, we open it up Pandora's box. And it's scary. So yes, I don't think that LeBron James thought that saying Jewish people have money or have a lot of money I don't think that he thought that that was an insult, but it was insulting and it absolutely hurt people. And more importantly, right? He should have took the opportunity, not just to apologize, but to also inform because LeBron James, and I, I admire this about him, has taken the responsibility of being a professional athlete and having that platform and talking about equality and social justice and things that mean a lot to him. But if you're going to do that, you then have to stand up, right? You then have to stand up and admit when you're wrong, when you have a misstep. And we all do. We all do. We all will. This is an unfinished story. I don't know what else comes from this, if anything. Maybe LeBron James does take a step back and be like, you know what? I made a mistake in saying I apologize if I hurt anyone. That's not good enough. Let me try to flip this and make this a learning moment. Maybe he does take this opportunity to show again, over and over again, how much of a leader and how great he truly is. And I hope he does. I truly do. But if he doesn't, we can't leave the criticisms just to the trolls, right? You can be a fan of LeBron and the things that he does on and off the basketball court because God knows I am. But just because you're a fan does not mean you don't then hold him accountable for the mistakes that he makes or the mistakes that he makes and choose to ignore. All right, guys, that's the second quarter. You heard the horn. That means we are at halftime. Before we go to halftime, a few house cleaning notes. Make sure you email me. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Quarterly spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E, report at gmail.com. Also get in contact with me via Twitter. Tweet at me at quarterly show. Again, that's quarterly spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. -E -E, quarterly show on Twitter. 
get an opportunity to tell me anything, ask me anything, uh, almost produce the show, really. We do this from time to time. It's called a stoppage time, right before halftime. I get some tweets or emails that you guys have sent my way asking me questions or challenging me on something that I may have talked in previous episodes, whatever the case. And we've got two this week. Um, the first one is from Kirk. Kirk from Petersburg, Virginia. Shout out to Petersburg, my home state. Right outside Richmond, my hometown city. Uh, shout out to them Trojans. Um, so Kirk from Petersburg asks me if I heard the recent Joe Budden podcast where he gave his thoughts on J. Cole and how J. Cole needs to be uh, more, go out of his way to be a bigger star, I suppose. So number one, Kirk, thank you so much for emailing me. Um, yes, Kirk, I did listen to that Joe Budden podcast. For those of you who don't know, Joe Budden's podcast is one of my favorites, if not my favorite podcast that's out. And yeah, man, that was a dope segment. I felt like they could have went way longer on that. J. Cole is it's interesting, man. And you know, we just talked about the 21 Savage album. A lot of people kind of were, you know, reawakened, if you will, after hearing Cole get down on that 21 Savage record. And I'm a J. Cole fan. So it's funny every time I hear people or see people get online and start bashing Cole. I get it, man. Cole's not for everybody. But when Joey was talking about how Jay needs a, a larger presence, I feel that. I feel like J. Cole goes out of his way not to be the big-time superstar rap artist. Like, I think J. Cole is cool knowing this is what he is. And that the opportunity to be to be kind of a, a, a Drake, if you will. He could have gone that route, but he doesn't want to. And he goes out of his way to make sure he doesn't because I feel like J. Cole is good enough. He obviously is dope at front, as terms of a rapper, but everything that goes with Cole, he checks all the boxes. So if he didn't go out of his way not to be thrust into like kind of rap slash pop star status, it would be easily it would be easy to put him there. I mean, you remember when Cole came out, that was the thing, was Cole and Drake as rivals. And it wasn't even like a a, a bad rivalry, but that was kind of the thing. Like, they both signed a big-time acts, Wayne with Drake and Jay with Cole, and they both had dope mixtapes, and they both kind of came out at the same time. And if you listen to Cole's first album, you could, you could hear it. Like, they were chasing kind of the quote-unquote hit. And Cole meant no words. He didn't like it. And as his discography grew, you feel, you can tell he makes it a point not to do that anymore. Um, what Cole doesn't have in presence, I think he makes up for it in Mystique. You know, because Cole is one of the best, if not the best lyricists out there, Cole still sells records. That's the, another thing. Cole doesn't have singles. Cole doesn't have features, or features, excuse me. But he sells a million records every single time. So that gives you the strength to let you know just how dope his fan base is. He does these HBO specials that are super dope, man. And he has a good pulse of what his core fan base is. And his core fan base is large, right? That being said, man, I do feel joy when... I want, I want Cole to kind of relinquish 
being the producer for all his tracks. I want to hear Cole get down with different producers and make a project that is large. You know, Born Center and Forest Hill Drive, they were dope. Don't get me wrong. I love those two. And KOD was one of the best albums this year, too. But I do feel like Cole could hit the reset button on the entire rap game if he wanted to. He's that nice. He's that big of an act already. Again, he goes platinum every time. And he's that nice of a rapper, of an MC. He could really shut everything down if he really wanted to. But that would have to kind of, it's a give and take. And he would have to kind of let give up on this, this mystique of not being the guy who's chasing the hit. Because the one thing I don't want, like if Cole stayed at this, what he's doing at this rate, I'd be fine with it. I'd be much happier with him doing this consistently than him doing what Nas did in the late 90s and like kept on chasing the home run hit. Because Nas ended up hurting his legacy with the Nostradamus album and the I Am album. You know what I mean? And the, you know, the Uchi Wallet. Like, know what you're good at. And I would love to see Cole kind of just get in there with different producers. But if he doesn't want to do that, cool. What I don't want Cole to do is start chasing hits. Because that would then not only leave him without that presence, but it would damage the mystique and his legacy that he already has. So, uh, Kurt from Petersburg, thank you for that question. Got time for one more. This is from Jamie from Waldorf, Maryland. And Jamie asks... Or Timmy says, I am wrong about running backs being drafted in the first round. You can't compare running backs being drafted to quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are the most important position in the NFL. They touch the ball on every play. No point to make the comparison with running backs to quarterbacks or wide receivers. All right. So, Jamie, you're wrong. In fact, I gave you examples about running backs and quarterbacks i appreciate the email first off let me say that before i start going at you right let, let me because i don't want to lose a listener so i appreciate you emailing me your your thought on the running back quarterback position and while i'll say this reasonable minds can disagree reasonable people can disagree on this i think that if you have a quarterback who is special Drafting them in the first round, if you can identify them correctly, go ahead. I think that's the same case when it comes to running back. If you can identify a Saquon, a Ty Gurley, and an Ezekiel Elliott, go for it, right? Because they are that special. You want to talk about longevity? Boom. Obviously, quarterbacks have a longer career span than running backs. So from that, from that point, yes. But that I also could argue because a quarterback's life uh, expectancy is so short, identifying one and getting them the elite ones at the top of the draft immediately is more um more of an important and more of a priority than a quarterback but again you've heard me talk about this i'm not going to disagree with you i think you can find quarterbacks late in the draft you don't need special you don't need to draft one early in the um playoffs or in the draft but boom reasonable people can disagree however you said wide receiver and this is something that i've always kind of had difficulty understanding. If you're saying you should never draft a running back in the first round because you can find um, talented running backs later in the draft, I mean, well, then how do you explain drafting a wide receiver in the first round? Seriously. 
if you're going to take that if you're going to take that stance on running backs, why wouldn't you then also take that stance with wide receivers? You know, the best wide receiver, in my opinion, in the game is DeAndre Hopkins. He was drafted in the first round. Bomb. Second best wide receiver in the game, Antonio Brown. He was drafted in the second round. You start then doing the math. Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, first round receivers. Michael Thomas, Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, guys drafted in the fifth, undrafted, and third round picks. You start doing the math. You can get valuable receivers later on in the draft. And here's another question. When was the last time a top wideout was a part of a Super Bowl winning team? Don't give me Nelson Aguilar. <laughs> you know, I guess Demarius Thomas when Peyton won, but again, that Broncos team won because of the defense. And Demarius Thomas wasn't the first round receiver, I don't believe. Like, think about it. The Odells, the TOs, the Randy Mosses, the Larry Fitzgeralds, those aren't the guys who are winning Super Bowls. Calvin Johnsons, these aren't the guys who are winning Super Bowls. So, again, if you want to say the quarterback to wide receiver comparison is off, you'd be wrong. But, okay, reasonable people could disagree. But don't tell me that wide receivers are an important you know, position to draft early in the draft, but running backs aren't. Because running backs are far more important than wide receivers are. All right, so Jamie, Kirk, thank you guys both for the emails. All you guys who are listening to the show, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys interacting with me. Remember, email me, tweet me, whatever the case may be. Let me know. Get in contact. You can hit me up on Instagram as well at Quarterly Report. Get in contact with me if there are any things you want to hear me talk about, discuss, or if you want to challenge me on any topic, you can reach me there. All right, guys, halftime this week is kind of fun. We're going to end the year out strong. Man, if you're like me, Bird Box has all of a sudden just taken, you know, every, like taking the attention from everything, right? I had no idea what Bird Box was the day before Christmas Eve. So Sunday night, never heard of it. And then everybody started telling me, I need to see this movie. I need to go on Netflix and watch this movie. I had no idea. I knew nothing about it. I still haven't seen it, and I'm going to watch it this weekend. But the premise is pretty. It's something else. And Netflix, they on something, man. Because every time you turn around, Netflix is coming out with some of the most wild and outlandish plots for their made for movie specials or whatever whatever you want to call this and the brights and all this other stuff so i imagine being in a netflix studios trying to pitch an idea is some type of otherworldly experience here's what i got take a listen a quiet place told you that you couldn't talk bird box just showed you that you should be careful with what you look at now Valentine's Day 2019, you've got to be careful about what you touch. From the creators of Bright and Bird Box, we present to you the real definition of Valentine's Day massacre. What happens when Cupid starts falling out of love and starts desiring revenge? Cupid's comeback, coming to Netflix, Valentine's Day 2019. Hey, yo, man, shout out to everybody at Netflix, bro, because they're making all the money. I just don't know. 
I don't. I, I would love to sit in on the creative process, like how they come up with some of these ideas, man. Because, right? I I still don't know how they're making a sequel to that. That joint, you know, they was high of their damn mind when they came up with that. Fairies and monsters and police. <laughs> like they they literally went for it all. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Major, or not Major Pain, Blank Man. Blank Man is one of the, uh, my favorite movies of my childhood, and. And under, you know, appreciated part of that movie, they're at like this news network, right? And it's like trash news, like hard edition or whatever. And they're trying to come up with ideas and storylines. So they've got like a dart and they just throw a bunch of nouns and like adjectives and kind of plots. And you just throw at a dartboard and it gets like alien encounter with Elvis, uh, love, slave, sex partners or something like that, right? And that's just kind of how they made their storylines. But I feel like that's how they do it Netflix because it's just so random. And again, I have no idea how Bird Box became like this thing over the holiday weekend. I promise you, I hadn't heard a single thing about Bird Box. Like I heard rumblings about a house on Haunting Hill. And then all of a sudden I decided to look at it, right? I heard about even Bright, like I, I knew years before production that Will Smith was doing a movie on Netflix, right? All these films, you hear something about it before it's released. Bird Box just came, and then it was there, and then everybody was talking about it. And it wasn't even that good. So, you know, shout out to the folks at Netflix. They're making stupid money. They're making crazy money. But, man, more than the money, you know, they smacked out their mind, bro. The creative process at Netflix is amazing. I got to sit in on one of those joints, man. Maybe make the podcast even better. All right, guys, that's halftime. We've got two quarters left, starting with a wrap-up, right? Most shows probably would wait for the fourth quarter to do this, but nah, nah, man, we like to do things differently here on the quarterly report. So our third quarter is touching on the year that was. Third quarter. When you think of 2018, what will you remember? Like years down the road, when you look back on the crazy 12 months of 2018, how will you remember it? You know, I personally will remember that the first five months of the year felt like an eternity and the last seven flew by. That, with the, with the exception of like family, personal, you know, um, accomplishments and accolades and, um, you know, positive memories that's going to be my biggest takeaway is that the year of 2018 felt like two separate parts like black panther came out this year black panther feels like an eternity ago you know what i'm saying but it came out in february and that feels like two years ago but this summer flew by went to the bahamas with the family man and that feels like just a few weeks ago but when you dive in deeper and specifically look at certain uh, pivot points and, you know, entertainers and sports memories, I felt that it was appropriate to send off the, the, the year by reliving some of the biggest highs and um, some of the biggest figures of 2018. So because this is a sports show, we're going to break it down, right? MVPs, rookies of the year, comeback player of the year, but done in an entertainment form. So without further ado, let's look back at the rookie of the year. The rookie of the year for 2018, 
basically is someone who I, and I can't speak for everyone, right? But me personally, I had no idea who they were and that made a huge impression. Now this person who I'm going to give rookie of the year will be awarded also. Uh, you know what? We'll probably just wrap up MVP as well at the same time, because without question, rookie of the year MVP has to go to Cardi B. You feel me? I don't listen to her music. Look, I don't know anything about her prior to November 2017, because I guess that's when Bodak Ghetto first came out, right? And I didn't know who, or I shouldn't say first came out. That's when it first crossed my eyes. Now, I don't watch any of the loves and hip hops. I don't watch any of that stuff, right? So I had no, I had no idea who she was. Like her Cardi B meant nothing to me. It was just some rapper, you know what I'm saying, who had a song. And I figured that she was from the South because the music sounded like a Southern beat. But she wasn't just a one-hit wonder. She ended up dominating the calendar year. I mean, to the point where she got Nicki Minaj up out of here. People are you know, talking about her romance with somebody else. They have a child. She had a number one album. She did everything in this year. So I don't even think it's really an argument. In terms of rookie of the year and MVP, it has to go to Cardi B. L of the year. We all know, you know, there's a segment that we do on this show, man. Just take the L. It's a life lesson that we all have learned, but some of us, many of us, I would argue, ignore. And there were a lot of L's given out this year. Drake comes to mind. Absolutely. Who else had a big L this year? Um, the... The Burgundy of Gold, the Skins in D.C., they, they, they give themselves self-inflicted L's. But to me, without question, the person who had the biggest L of 2018 has to be Kanye West. Like, Kanye, come on, bro. Come on, bro. Like, he had his music, at least for me, had been, I haven't really been feeling his music for quite a while. But at least he still had other, he was still, you know, relevant in other ways. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of people were spending all this money on his shoes. He had the fashion thing. He had a lot of things going for him. And unfortunately for Kanye, not only are people not listening to his music like they used to, they're not even buying his shoes like he did. And he made a fool out of himself on such a degree when you talk about slavery was a choice, like all this happened in one calendar year for Kanye, let not to mention his recent despair, his recent like just kind of venting session or whatever, the, whatever you want to call it that he had on Twitter not too long ago. We don't view Kanye the same way we did ten years ago, obviously, but we don't view him the same way we did five years ago or even two years ago. And I don't know if he could come back from that, honestly. I think his L in 2018 was so massive, so great that we have to we have to start viewing things differently when it comes to Kanye and his legacy. And it's because of the huge L he took in 2018. So L of the year goes to Kanye. Comeback person of the year. Now, this is something where life could imitate sports. Because if you wanted to tell me Derrick Rose was the comeback person of the year. I could hear it. I could take it. I could rock with it. What he's doing on the floor, I thought it was over for him. I thought his career may be over after seeing him in New York. But um, 
He's fought back, but I'm not going to give him comeback person of the year. Comeback person of the year to me is Joe Budden. You know, what Joey has done, and again, this isn't, this didn't just happen in 2018, but 2018 was kind of the uh, coronation, if you will, right? He got the Spotify deal. He got the huge numbers with the push interview. He got the huge numbers all over throughout the, the spring and summer before the Spotify deal. It was like he got engaged in the, like this was kind of like the, you know, like I said, the coronation of all the years work prior to this to get to this point. And now, man, he's got, he's got the, the family, he's got a, the kid, he's got the show, the career is jumping off, you know, and he's got another show on Revolt. I mean, he's doing everything, man. So if you would have told me in 2015, not even like five years ago, just three years ago, that this is where Joe Budden was going to be. This is going to be how his career uh, pivots. I wouldn't have believed you. And here we are. Hell, he even he even got M to throw shots. Joe responded on a pod and shut him up. Think about that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? M had smoke for Machine Gun Kelly. M had smoke for all these other people. Joe Budden talked on a podcast, didn't give him one bar. It just said, don't do it. Do it again and see what happens. And that was enough. <laughs> that was enough. Think about that. In 2018, Joe Budden got him to shut up. If that ain't worth an award, I don't know what is. So, comeback player of the year, Joey. Easy. Beef of the year, man, it's hard not to give it to Push versus Drake. You know what I'm saying? Those two guys, the only thing that would even come close, would even come close, would be the Nick. And you know what? Nick and Cardi could possibly get it because Cardi ended up getting lumped on the forehead. See, they, they scrapped, or members of their entourage scrapped at a fashion festival. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's wearing these crazy-ass gowns and head wraps and looking crazy. Hey, Cardi a G for real, Joe. Like I said, she MVP. She went to the, the fashion joint, looked for smoke, got the smoke, got punched or something, got knotted on her forehead, and came back winning. Like, despite getting knotted up, everybody, she she comes out the winner. She MVP easily. But beef of the year, I'm still going to give Push Drake the edge only because Push won the beef. And in terms of the legacy argument, this is a huge feather in the cap of push. When you when it goes down, right, and you look back, Meek couldn't do it, Joey couldn't do it, Common couldn't do it. All these people who took shots at Drake just haven't been able to do it. Push got him all the way up out of there. However, Drake, even though he got embarrassed, even though... He lost the shoe deal, even though his album rollout was completely thrown away and his reveal, all these things that he probably wanted to do and thought that they were going to be an amazing run. He still came away with a huge year himself. It, I mean, it really, I'm not going to say it's Jay like because Jay dropped blueprint and that was kind of even after ether, you couldn't. Look at Jay like he lost because he just dropped the greatest, one of the greatest hip-hop albums ever. Scorpion is in no way, shape, or form anywhere close to Blueprint. However, 
in this day and age, he got the songs that people were dancing to. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing people jump up doing the In My Feelings dance. People was getting hit by cars, jumping out their car, trying to do it, being stupid. And you know what? However many months later, no one is even talking about it. Like, we all remember the summer and the story of Adidon, and that will go down in the, the history books as one of the greatest disses and just everything about it. Just shut Drake's whole situation down. But you got to give credit where it is due. Drake still bounced back. And because both guys took the win, Push got the win. Drake took the L, but the L still was somehow a win. You know what I'm saying? Like, we as Americans love a comeback story. And he pivoted himself into a sympathetic victim or sympathetic figure and still made music that, you know, the masses enjoyed. So because both guys came away looking so clean and so strong, that's still got to be beef of the year. Let me know what you guys think. Am I, am I missing a category? I gave you Rookie of the Year. I gave you MVP. I gave you Comeback Player of the Year. I gave you L of the Year. I gave you B for the Year. If there's something else that I'm missing, or if you think I've got one of those categories wrong, please hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show. Or email me at Quarterly Report at Q U A R. T-E-R-L-E-E -E report at gmail.com. Get involved. Let me know what I'm overlooking. Let me know where I'm wrong. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. And while we're at it, make sure you head on over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review. Tell me, tell your friends, tell the world why you love the Quarterly Report show. I greatly appreciate it. And if you want to give me five stars as well, I take them. I appreciate that as well. All right, guys, that's the year in review, but we still got one quarter left before we end 2018. So without any more interruptions, we're going to give the last quarter of 2018. Let's Fourth quarter. No matter how hard y'all try, y'all will not make me dislike Baker Mayfield. It's not going to happen. I love Baker Mayfield. I loved him in college. You guys have listened to this show for any extended period of time. You knew or you've heard me kind of talk about how I love the fact that I love when NFL players are allowed to have personality. I enjoy it. I welcome it. I wish more guys felt secure enough within themselves, within their profession, within their skill set to show the world who they actually are. You know, the NFL obviously is the largest sport in this country by a wide margin. It's going to be some time before any other sport surpasses it. But one thing I think the NBA has in its advantage, and I hate when people compare the two sports, but I'm about to compare the two sports, right? But one thing, one of the advantages that the NBA does have, especially when it comes to younger fans, is that their players are allowed to express themselves. So, you may never live in Oklahoma City. You may have never even stepped foot in the state of Oklahoma. But you can love and root for Russell Westbrook because of the way he, he conducts, and conducts himself, the way you know, he carries himself off the floor and even on the floor within, without even shooting a basket. You can relate to players because they are allowed to showcase their personality much more so than any other. Well, I can't really speak to hockey, right? But... In baseball, it's frowned upon. And in football, it's almost like they go out of their way to cap people's and players' personalities. 
So when he was in college, man, I was like, I'm all for it. Baker Mayfield, bro, I love it. And since coming to the pros, I love it. I love the fact that he goes out of his way to son Hugh, Hugh Jackson. I love that joint. Like, it's so petty to me. But to me, it, it's, I'm not comparing him to Jordan, right? But it's reminiscent, reminiscent of Jordan would read a paper and feel like an opposing coach or an opposing player was taking a shot at him. So Jordan would go out of his way to smoke said player or coach the next time they played against him. He would manufacture drama, manufacture criticism, and use it as fuel to, you know, propel him into a higher level of play. And that is what Baker Mayfield is doing, and I love it. I am consistent, 100%. Hear me now and remember this, because I have always, always enjoyed the brash, confident athlete. Reggie Miller used to smoke my Knicks, and when he did it, I hated him. But there was a part of me that enjoyed it because it was showmanship. When he would yell at Spike, even now to this day, Reggie Miller would get on Twitter and say, sit your ass down, Spike. And I laugh I, just for no reason. I just think it's so funny because he absolutely was brash and he welcomed it. Jordan absolutely welcomed it. And those are guys who I may not have rooted for or cheered for. And in Jordan's case, light because they were main, um, main protagonist in my youth, right? They were adversaries of my cherished, beloved 90s Knicks teams who I always thought could win. But those two guys were thorns in our sides. But I enjoy the brash athlete. I enjoyed Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens, outside of Michael Vick, is probably my favorite NFL player of all time. Obviously, brash. Deion Sanders. Loved them. Loved prime time. Still to this day remember him picking off I don't even know who the Atlanta quarterback was when they played, when the 49ers played the Falcons and him looking long on the sidelines as he high-stepped, which felt like 50 yards to the end zone. I love that. I love the obnoxious, brash, overly confident athlete, and I've always enjoyed them. I've always done it. But with Baker Mayfield, I'm noticing, is that the people who usually turn their nose up against the brash athlete. The the writers who, who have made a career off of talking about there is no I in team. The, the sports personalities, the radio hosts who have made a large amount of money, have built a large following, kind of, you know, shaming the athletes who do like to be looked upon, who do draw attention to themselves. Those players have been historically frowned upon. So although I like Baker Mayfield, although I love the fact that he goes out of his way to trash Hugh Jackson because Hugh Jackson is a trash head coach, I enjoy it. I think it's funny. Man, there's something inside of me that doesn't like it. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm using this as an opportunity to vent because I don't want to not like Baker Mayfield. And I'm going to fight not to like, not to dislike, excuse me, Baker Mayfield. But make no mistake, I see what's going on. I'm peeping it. And it's causing me to dislike Baker Mayfield. You know, and it's not his fault. 
We talked about this in the first quarter with Luka Doncic, right? There are a lot of people who love Luka, but because they're propping him up for something that has nothing to do with him, really, it forces people because, man, look, let's be 100% honest, man. Obviously, this is this is a racial undertone in both topics. Now, if you disagree, I would love to hear a reasoned argument, right? Because I'm not someone who always throws race into things. I think race is an undercurrent on most things in American society because of the way this country has been founded and has been run. Okay, we can take time to talk about it, but this that's this isn't the forum. But I'm very careful not to use race or talk about race in certain manners because I don't have the necessary time. And I know that a lot of people who listen to the show may not listen to it for that reason. OK, you want to have these larger discussions, hit me up and then maybe one of these days I will use a quarter to break some of this down. But in America, there are a large number of people who do not come across African-Americans or people of color in their day to day lives. So they're exposed to black and brown people at a higher rate than they would be when they go to work, when they go to church. Right. This is this is their opportunity to be exposed to different cultures. And so when you have prominent figures in the media for decades talking about how the T.O.'s and the, the and, you know, the Deion Sanders and the Bo Jackson's and, you know, all these other athletes. Are brash in their their pain and they're all me. Look at me first. The Odell Beckham's the Cam Newton's for to use some current athletes, the LeBrons, people will use these guys to kind of say, hey, look, this me first attitude is bad for sports. It's bad. You know, back in the day, it used to be, man, what about the kids? How do we talk about the kids? The, the kids look up to these players. The NFL literally banned touchdown celebrations for a decade or so because people manufactured this thing about, man, Tara Owens is, and Joe Horn and all these guys are bad for kids. And again, if that's how you feel, I disagree with you. I enjoy the athlete who is confident because I feel all of these athletes are confident. Don't give me false modesty because to me, that's insulting. If you are an elite athlete, I have to figure at somewhere in your head, you know you are elite. I've never met an athlete who was great who did not know it and did not have a problem telling the people who are they are comfortable with that they are, right? Whether they have been trained, media trained, or they suppress their confidence slash arrogance, that's another story. But every athlete that I've met, and I've met a I've been fortunate enough to meet very many successful, talented athletes, professional athletes. They all are confident because I feel that you have to be to reach that certain level of success in a extremely competitive environment. So if you don't like the arrogance or the confidence or the braggadocious nature that many athletes have, I disagree with you, but okay, that's fine. What I have a problem with is that you don't like the me first attitude. You don't like the brash athletes 99.9% .9 of the time. But when it comes to Baker Mayfield, you love it. I don't like the guys who grip Odell Beckham 
who ripped Terrell Owens or Antonio Brown or Cam Newton when they scream at their on the sidelines at their teammates or they may scream at their head coach or assistant coach, whatever the case may be. But when J.J. Watt does it or when Tom Brady does it, right, it's celebrated. It's looked upon as leadership. That's that BS, and I can't stand it. And damn it, I can feel the negative reaction toward how Baker Mayfield has been propped up this past week because of his consistent, right, mockery of Hugh Jackson, which, again, I need to point out, I love it. I think it's funny. I enjoy seeing Baker Mayfield back, you know, backpedal for 20-so yards staring at Hugh Jackson. Talk your stuff, bro. Baker, you deserve it. You should be Offensive Rookie of the Year. Although I think Saquon Barkley is a better professional, I'm willing to get not do the not quarterback means more bomb. We could do that. What Baker Mayfield means to the Cleveland Browns is larger than what Saquon Barkley means to the New York Giants. I don't even think the biggest Giants fan would disagree. So don't misconstrue what I'm saying here. I enjoy Baker Mayfield. I enjoy Baker Mayfield talking trash to Hugh Jackson planning the OU flag in the in midfield back in college. I like the brash athlete. I've always, I always have, I always will. I am 100% consistent with this. What I don't like are the people. And if y'all haven't noticed, just, just observe, right? Just take a scroll through your timeline or through the, the sports channels. And the, the daily talk shows, because they, they y'all know it, they talk about the same topics every day. Each show talks about the same eight topics. And see the 180 that so many people in the national media have done when it comes to Baker Mayfield. Maybe I'm sensitive about this. You, actually, you know what? I am sensitive about this, because through my 36 years of living, I have been conditioned, Right? The brash athlete, no, 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 that's wrong, that's bad. That's a bad influence on children. There's no I in team. All the cliches, all the tired cliches, right? Say what you will about Colin Gower, and I know a lot of y'all hate him. But at least, I, I give him some prop because at least he's been consistent. He doesn't like when John Wall dances. He doesn't like Baker Mayfield pointing at the fans. You know, he is one, he's been consistent with that. So I give him credit for that because most of his peers, they've done, a, they've done all types of mental gymnastics with this. And that is causing a reaction within me that is starting to grow, right? I don't want to dislike Baker Mayfield. I enjoy Baker Mayfield, and I will not let these lame-ass mamas make me dislike him. But I would be lying to you if throughout these past seven days I fell away. Because I have felt a way about how Baker Mayfield has been covered. Not necessarily how he's been covered, but how so many people all of a sudden enjoy his brashness. You feel me? Because his brashness is no different than T.O.'s. It's no different than Cam's. It's no different than Odell. It's no different than Dion. Go down the list. There's no different, eh, except for the one, right? Except for the one. All right, guys, this has been the last episode of the quarterly report of 2018. Before we go, I just want to thank 
each and every one of you all for listening to the show. I appreciate all the feedback. I appreciate all the tweets, all the support, all the listens, all the, you know, if you tell your friends to listen to the show, man, and I've heard a lot of you guys pass the word on to friends and coworkers and family and all that other stuff. I really appreciate you guys. And I really love you guys for the support, man. And let's keep on rocking in 2019. Got another year, so much more in store for the new year for the show as we approach episode 100. But again, first and foremost, I want to thank all you listeners, all you guys who've been rocking with me since day one and all the new listeners that I've picked up throughout 2018. I know there's so many podcasts out there, so many sports shows that you could listen to and that you spend an hour, 15, hour and 20 minutes with yours truly, man, it means a lot. But bigger and better things in the new year, but I wanted to make sure that you all know that I appreciate each and every one of you guys. All right, guys, thank you so much. Y'all be safe this holiday weekend, bring in the new year with your loved ones, but be safe. And check me out next Thursday with a brand new episode of The Quarterly Report.